Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If so, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you. Aww. Along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use! Exclamation point. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours, too. Uh, so do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. Alright, what's up everybody and welcome to episode number 147 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Tuesday, July 9th, 2019. And I know what you're probably thinking, wow, these are two of the most slack-ass podcast hosts I've ever heard. They, they don't even try to have a normal podcasting schedule. Well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes a little thing called life happens. And uh, I had a fun 4th of July party at my house, a shindig, if you will. It was a blast. Everyone had a great time. Only one person threw up at the end of the party, and I had to clean it up. And I myself was drunk, cleaning up someone else's. Anyway, uh, I'm here with my co-host, Mike. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, I didn't really have a party or anything on 4th of July. I worked on 4th of July for a good chunk of the day. And then I had uh, one of my friends come over. We ordered a pizza. And we watched Jaws. So that's how I spent my 4th of July. Is worked for most of the day. Then in the uh, late evening, you know, got a pizza after I got off work. Friend came over and we watched Jaws. And Jaws is a fantastic film. Phenomenal movie. Um, I That's one of those movies that definitely deserves all the praise it gets. And it's still as amazing and, and great as it was back in 1975. Now, who is this friend that you speak of? Um, it's a, it's a friend. It's uh, his name is Jonathan. Um, I met him in uh, college. You know, we 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 uh, actually Clark at Clark College, and we share a lot of interests and stuff like that. Some are interests in film and and TV and uh, sports and stuff like that. How old uh, is this both, Jonathan? Uh, we're around so close to the same age. Um, uh, I think he's a little bit younger than me, but not, uh, not by a whole bu- lot. And, uh, he actually, you know, I, I lent him, I lent him my car. So we have a whole sort of agreement where he'll, he'll drive me around every now and then. Um, actually he's supposed to come over later after the podcast and take me, uh, to, uh, Winco so I can stock up on some more groceries. Well, look um, at that. Mike's got a friend that he's hanging out with in person. Isn't yeah. that nice? Isn't that special? Isn't yeah. that special? Well, you didn't tell any of us that you had this friend, Mike. Why have you been hiding him? Because <laughs> it never really, uh, I didn't bring him up because it's like didn't really have anything. Uh, we really weren't doing anything that current week um, together. Um, when, when you'd ask me like what, how I was doing. That's so so damn wholesome that like this guy who's around your same age is just totally okay with coming over to your house, ordering a pizza and watching a movie. That's like, that's like unheard of, uh, in my circle. (laughs) 
It'd be like, you know, what? He's ki- a really good guy. What kind of drugs are going to be there? What kind of girls are going to be there? What kind of alcohol is going to be there? That's- no, we split. We split the pizza too. Oh we wow! Split it. Went yeah. Dutch on the pizza. What what toppings? Uh, we got Papa John's, so we got the uh, the barbecue uh, chicken uh, pineapple pizza. Oh, okay. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. What did did he spend the night or did he leave or? Well, he left after we saw the movie and watched the movie. And oh, it was okay. pretty, pretty late, you know, and he had the day off, though, the next day. Okay. So he's had more days off lately. He's had a, a job uh, doing cooking stuff for, uh, you know, working in the kitchen at a retirement home sort of community that's been uh, kind of brutal in terms of hours. But again, he was try- also trying to do a job at the library at the same time at Clark. Um, but. Now it's summer and the library job doesn't have to worry about that. So he has more days off now than he did before. Mike. Before he only had one day off. When when are we going to get a girl in your house sharing a pizza with you? <laughs> That's my question. I'm, I'm honestly not thinking about that right now. Because I'm thinking about, like, I want to get my shit together before I try to, you know, get into that sort of thing. You know, and sort of start try to date. You know, I want to get my own place. I want to have more of a steady income. You know, that's kind of how, how I view that. Um, there's a phone ringing, so hold on one second. Yeah, I, I hear that. Let's listen in to what Mike has to say. Hey, what's up? Yeah, I can do that. All right, bye. Well, I just got uh, called in to work tonight. <laughs> oh, geez. But not right now. I don't have to be at work until uh, 6. And it's like a quick shift. It's like 6 to 9.30. Like, that's a three and a half hour shift. Absolutely nothing. I'll take it. You jumped on that without even hesitation. Well, that's kind of how I am with with work usually. If I'm not busy, also, um, I you know I get a lot of hours and uh, like I had like 27 hours this week and plus the three and a half. That's gonna take it over 30. So that'd be pretty nice. And nice. I got a little bit of a raise recently. Oh, not 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 anything super you know crazy. Only 30 cents. But hey, you know, that adds hey, up. It's 30 cents, and it's, you know, because I met expectations uh, for, for, you know, for for the uh, for the job, so to speak, because I got my uh, re- review, yearly review recently. Oh, God, so, I hated those. Back when I worked at CVS, I'd get I'd get my uh, review or whatever, and I think it was always good, but then at the, it's like, they were going to give you the raise no matter what, because they just, they just did. But the bullshit thing about it was they they were only authorized uh, according to their policy uh, to give you a two percent raise across the board. Everybody who worked there got a two percent raise. No yeah. one got could get higher than that, which is literally a slap in the testicles because two percent of like minimum wage was like fifteen cent. Yeah, yeah, it was something stupidly insulting, and it was just like. You guys just don't want me to get ahead. Like, you don't want me to get ahead in life. Because there's no way that I can get ahead with this bullshit. But that's their whole business model at CVS. They want they, they don't care if people quit because they, they just keep a revolving door of new employees coming in. And it's pretty, you know, unskilled labor. So they really don't care if you quit. They can just get someone else off the street in there. And teach them how yeah, to take people's money. I'm pretty money. sure there's probably a similar thing going on at my work, but um, I just think the environment is just really, really, honestly, it's quite wonderful. 
Um, it's one of the best work environments I've ever been a part of. And, and you know, a lot of, uh, you know, everyone that I work with, I get along with, and managers, employees, and it's it's just a really, I'm, I'm really lucky to have, you know, even though it's a minimum wage job, it's just, I'm really lucky, at least to me personally, to have, you know, a work environment like that. And uh, my manager, like, she actually left some comments and stuff on the on the uh, review that were very kind and, you know, appreciative. So it's one of those things that's just like, hey, all right, you know, I'm getting acknowledged for, you know, what I'm doing. And that means a lot to me, especially after not having worked for so long and having all that horrible luck with corporate, you know, in the past. So it's been it's been really nice. Mike, you live such a wholesome life compared to mine. I just feel bad <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Rebel DJ over oh, here, yeah, you know, yeah. having parties and having people light shit on fire Knock and it, punch, th- th- punch th- it holes in walls. Throwing yeah. my bandmate through a wall. <laughs> yeah, I heard about it. Stephanie's like, I got thrown through a wall. I'm like, what? Okay, me and her do this thing. Every time we have like a get together, like after a show or something, <laughs> we both like have been drinking and then we start like wrestling and shit every time. It's like she wants to fight me. And so we end up wrestling and it happens and it's always a large group of people around and we always just end up on the floor. And you need she- to get a trampoline and shit and do some, you know, like impromptu like wwe yeah i know right well so in the back she, she she was like on top of me like i think choking me or something and so for me to try to get her off i started like bashing her into the wall to try to like shake her off me and you know she's tenacious so of course that didn't really deter her uh and then pretty soon our friends are going dude you put a hole in the wall and <laughs> like i i like we she rolls off me and i'm like what and Stephanie thought I was going to be like really freaked out because you know how OCD I am, quote unquote. Yeah. But honestly, I don't know. It's just like I look at that and I see like a fun memory, mm. um, it, you know. But yeah, there. If you're friends with me on Facebook, uh, there there is a. <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as it happened, my friend Trey Trey went into the refrigerator and I just happened to have a Monster Energy drink in there. And he goes. <laughs> He goes, dude, you're Kyle. Here, hold this. And I was so like shocked. Oh my god! That uh, at the hole, like Trey just uh-huh. like he placed the monster can in my hand while I was sitting there looking <laughs> at the hole. And he's like, dude, look up. And I looked up, and that's when he took the picture. Like, oh man! I did not stage that. That was literally placed <laughs> in my hand while I was sitting by the drywall. Like, yeah. And so I've had like a million people commenting how I can fix that hole. And it's like, okay, I get it. It's easy. I'll I'll get to it eventually. It's just not at the top of my priorities right now. Well, you know, uh, there's uh, something that you that um, you can't really easily fix that we're going to be discussing. Oh, look at Mike with the segues over here. Yeah. Today in this podcast, Um, I'm going to have a little disclaimer before I really get started um, with my sort of uh, thoughts on some things regarding this case, the documentary we saw. Um, I am not going to be joking around at all in this podcast. I got no jokes. I got no witty one liners. I got I, I don't even have any dad jokes for this particular. That's how you know. Uh, that's how you know podcast. he's serious. When he doesn't even want to do a dad joke, because that's yeah, so it, a part of Mike's uh, fabric. This this uh, this case, the case about the BTK killer, Dennis Rader, is just so horrifying 
and disturbing that I, I just, I, I cannot, with any good conscience, approach it with anything but the utmost seriousness. Yeah, this this uh, documentary that we saw, and I don't remember. BTK, uh, Killer Among Us, that's what it's called. Oh, okay. It actually uh, was aired on Investigation Discovery this, this year. Oh, February. okay. Okay, so it's fairly recent. That's good. Because uh, I hate sometimes when you're talking about like a documentary or something and it's like, you know, really old. So like, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool that... This is easily the most comprehensive documentary to date on the BTK killer. It's got interviews with uh, the investigators who tried to catch him past uh, and present, you know, fairly present, you know, the ones in the past that tried to catch him and then the ones that uh, were still alive that were involved with actually catching him. The uh, interviews with the victim's families, which just thinking about some of them is getting me choked up because... Um, they're they're they really went through hell and I, I mean it's just just thinking about it, it's just really really rough and and just i i mean just imagine putting yourself in the shoes of some of these you know people yeah i tried you know, like, i like, tried my hardest like the, to not do that <laughs> yeah exactly you, you you really try not to do that because it's just too hard to take i mean uh, a kid who watched his mother get strangled in front of him yeah, I mean, this guy, I posted a poll on our Facebook group. And if you want to join it, if you're a fan of the podcast, I, you know, join the group. It's uh, go to Facebook and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Um, I put a poll on the group and I said, you know, biggest sociopath. And then uh, I, I put the options of uh, John Wayne Gacy, BTK or um, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh. And then other people put Ted Bundy, which that was a good one. I should have thought of that one. And then uh-huh. then it just got out of control and everyone just started putting everything. But like, uh, I I feel like easily, uh, although some other... Bundy these, is close. Bundy is, yeah. Uh, I feel like BTK, Dennis Rader, was the uh, biggest sociopath of them all. And, you know, basically sociopath meaning someone who's living a double life. You know, and that well, and, so, well someone who is, they don't have uh, a lot of human emotions. Like they were able to do these horrific crimes and then just yeah. go back to their everyday lives. Like it's you know, like nothing had ever happened. So de- the definition of a sociopath is a person with a personality dis- personality disorder manifesting itself in extreme antisocial attitudes and behavior and a lack of conscience. Mm-hmm. Now the lack of conscience is the big one here. Yes. It's it really is a disorder because there's no way this man could have done this stuff to these people if he had any shred of a conscience. Exactly. Or any shred of uh mental health. I mean, look at what he does that he he does these murders and goes some some of these murders and goes right back to his boy scout retreat. Right. Yeah, that was insane and then he has an alibi. What I don't yeah. understand, I don't get how these kind of these types of people, I don't get how they're able to discern family members from the people they kill. Like, why not yeah. kill the family members? You know, like mm-hmm. what? So it shows that there is some sort of he's not insane. See, that's the thing. These these individuals, they are not 
your typical example of someone who's criminally insane. I don't think these serial killers are are not cognizant or aware of, you know, the wrongness of what they're doing. I, I you know, they don't have a conscience, but I think they are aware of like how society views these things or or you know that what they're doing is is wrong in some extent, but to them their idea of what's wrong and right is so backwards and confused that you know their their idea of it is completely different than what most people's ideas of what's right and wrong are. Um I think he's a sociopath, but also a little bit, you know, I think a lot of these serial killers, they're sociopaths, <laughs> extreme sociopaths with psychopathic tendencies. Because they're not just a straight-up sociopath, because a straight-up sociopath can be like a businessman or something who just steps on everybody, get to the top, and doesn't really give a shit, and only cares about money and power and all that other stuff. That, you, you know, that, that, that's, that's a sociopath, um, you know, just a strict sociopath. But, like, someone like Dennis Rader clearly has psychopathic tendencies. Yeah. Yeah, so this documentary just kind of goes through, you know, the the beginnings of, of mm-hmm. the killings, which started in the 70s. And then there was this this has some reenactment has reenactments as well. I, I thought the reenactments in this are not a quite on par with the, you know, the chilling atmosphere of, you know, the early uh, seasons of Unsolved Mysteries. But I thought compared to some of the other reenactments I've seen on investigation, investigation discovery, there was some cinematic qualities that I that I did appreciate. Um, and yeah, it follows these murders and then you got interviews with the people who are involved trying to catch him in the police department. Uh, I find it kind of, this is the only thing that I'm going to mention that I find kind of funny is that like the investigators, there was a task force that was set up to try to catch him in the eighties and they labeled them the ghostbusters. Yeah. Which I don't really get. Because it's not, I, I, I guess Ghostbusters came out was a really popular movie, but at the time in like '84. But I, I just don't, I don't understand the context of Ghostbusters for a tax force trying to catch this serial killer. Well, he was like a, a ghost. Well, know? yeah, and a lot. Of, yeah, I guess. I, I guess I could kind of get at that now, but it just seems kind of, I don't know, um, lighthearted. You know, kind of, kind of making light of, of you know this, this uh, situation in some ways. Yeah. So I mean, I could kind of see that, but I think as a police officer, you're so used to dealing with this kind of stuff, it's easier for you to. Well, even the police officers who were involved with this case have said, and had said on camera in this documentary that like it, this, this is, this is, this is some really hard, um, rough, uh, stuff, even for me. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The the detectives that the the first case they talked about the uh, the the I guess the Hispanic guy's family or whatever. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, the detectives. You know, uh, who, they weren't normally quiet at yeah. the crime scene when people arrived, but when you uh-huh. know everyone else arrived, the detectives were just outside, not saying they're anything. Not saying anything. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like that's how brutal it was, and. I mean, like I said, it's it's just so. Uh... The documentary doesn't hold back. It really doesn't. This is a documentary that I have to admit is not for people who are you know have weak stomachs, you know stuff like that. And this is a really uh, rough and tumble documentary. 
Um, wow, you, it, it's very detailed. You just used the phrase "rough and tumble." Yeah. Uh, Sorry, that's no, all right. I just don't, what what? I just don't yeah, really. What, what I just that? I just don't really hear people under the age of fifty use that phrase. <laughs> Mike, are you I probably got? Uh, you, I probably got it from my grandma. Sorry. Are you wearing your knee high socks again, Mike? <laughs> Damn it! You just can't help yourself. Okay. So, <laughs> well, I had to switch it up instead of just saying rough over and over again. So anyway, uh, it's detailed. It has a lot of these different interviews. And so it goes from the timeline of the murders in the 70s and up to the murders in the 80s. His communications with uh, the Wichita, well, Wichita um, news newsrooms and newspapers and stuff like that. And then goes all the way up to his eventual uh, resurfacing into in the mid 2000s and his eventual capture. And it doesn't hold back in terms of the uh, things that are said. Um, it even has like audio of Dennis Rader actually talking uh, that is quite chilling because he doesn't show a shred of emotion or remorse when he's talking about these things. Um it's as if he's just talking of li listing off his grocery list for the day, you know. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> you know he's talking about these horrible things that he he did, you know, to these to these people, these victims. Um, and the film and the documentary actually does show you his kinks, which is one of the and we'll get to that later. But that is one of the most disturbing things I think. I've oh, ever that was seen. so bizarre. God, that yeah. was so bizarre. And he, he like, he's like, I'll we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, the documentary, I do recommend it if you're into true crime. Um, I know there's been a lot of people like who have said some bad things about it, saying like it's poorly edited or it wasn't that good or whatever. I don't know. I thought it was fine. I thought all those elements were fine with it. I thought it was one of the better documentaries I've seen. And, you know, in the past, you know, couple years, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you are curious about the BTK killer and you want to know more about him and the, you know, the damage that he caused to his victims and his family uh, and, you know, an inside look on the individuals that spent long, tireless hours uh, trying to catch him, then, yeah, I definitely do recommend you give it a watch. But you got to be in the right mood for it. Definitely don't watch this if you're already like depressed or something, <laughs> or like dealing with some serious anxiety. Because I that's this is not going to help. <laughs> no, not at all. So we're going to start with uh, his early life and his career because we're going off the Wikipedia. Uh, there's a few moments where we'll bounce back. Back we'll bounce uh, to this uh, other article that has a few quotes and a few uh, more extra details. Um. And maybe mention some things that we re-recollect re from the documentary. Yeah. So you want to take early life and career? Sure. Dennis, Dennis Rader was born on March 9th, 1945. The oldest of four sons born to Dorothy May Rader and William El Elvin Rader. He has Danish, German, and Swiss ancestry. Though born in Pittsburgh, Kansas, he grew up in Wichita. He had a sexual fetish for women's underwear and stole underpants from his victims and then wore them himself. Radar spent 
1966 to 1970 in the United States Air Force. Upon discharge, he moved back to Park City, where he worked in the meat department of a Leakers IGA supermarket, where his mother was a bookkeeper. He married Paula Dietz on May 22, 1971, and they had two children. He attended Butler County Community College in El Dorado, earning an associate degree in electronics in 1973. He then enrolled at Wichita State University and graduated in 1979 with a bachelor's degree in administration of justice. Jesus. Rader worked as an assembler for the Coleman Company, an outdoor supply company. He worked at the Wichita-based office of ADT Security Services from 1974 to 1988, where he installed security alarms as part of his job. In many cases for homeowners concerned about the BTK killings. Raider was a consensus field operations supervisor for the Wichita area in 1989 before the 1990 federal census. In May 1991, he became a dog catcher and compliance officer in Park City. In this position, neighbors recalled him as being sometimes overzealous and extremely strict. One neighbor complained he killed her dog for no reason. Rader was a member of Christ Lutheran Church and had been elected president of the church council. He was also a Cub Scout leader. On July 26, 2005, after Rader's arrest, his wife was granted an emergency divorce, waiving the normal waiting period. That's the first time I've heard of the term emergency divorce. I don't know about you. Yeah, same. It's nice that that exists. For this type of situation. Like, hey. Because, yeah, you'd, be, you'd just be like, cut him Get off. me the fuck out of this marriage r- ASAP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, tying into his uh, compliance officer thing, there was a, there's another investigation discovery show, and it was kind of talking about, like, who the f- are you? Kind of like, like who who's like your uh, oh, the who, neighbor? Who the fuck did I marry? Yeah, who, no, no, it's not that. It's actually a different one. Jeez. Because um, it actually talks, it's called What the Bleep. Because it's like what the it's a whole like it's like what the what the what the fuck basically. Oh okay. And there was one that talked about this 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 woman who worked with Dennis Rader, and he was showing like sociopathic crazy tendencies in his compliance officer job. In fact, he was starting to stalk her uh, before he was eventually uh, captured, and it's insinuated that she had a potential to be his next victim. Damn. Yeah. So, and I mean, just it's so crazy to think that he was just, he was working for ADT. And there's a lot of times where actually he was in his work truck eating lunch, and like one of the victims, he decided, oh, this this looks like a good uh, victim for me to to uh, to kill. Looks like someone that's uh uh I I want to kill because he heard a piano playing, and he was eating lunch in his ADT truck. Heard a piano playing, walked over, saw what house it was, and basically handpicked that one. Said, "All right, you know, figured out who was there, figured out the family, knew that the husband left at work at a certain time, and he just circled that one and was like, I'm going to kill the wife.' Jesus, opportunistic killings. Yeah, and I believe that's why it took. So- and it was just because he heard the piano playing. Yeah. I believe that's why like it took so long for them sick- to capture him is because yeah. he it's like what I always said, you know, like to truly get away with a crime. It has to be random. You can't know mm-hmm. these people. It has to just literally be 
a sick, like you're a sick fuck, you know, person. You don't know, you know, the people and you just get off on killing, you know, it, that, that's, that's really the only way you can, I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but you really have to not know it, the people and it has to be random. That's why these sociopaths and these, these, you know, psychopaths are so dangerous because they, they kill indiscriminately. Uh But he got he got really cocky later on, where he's like killing his neighbors and shit like that. So, you know, he was an exception to the rule in in, in that instance as well, which makes it even more terrifying because he just you know he's he's not like he, there's not like oh I'm just gonna do random killings only. You know, he was just like ah you know, she lives right next door. <laughs> she lives right Take next door. Out. I have a knife. Fuck it. Yeah. That wasn't really. It's 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 horrible. It's horrible. But that's probably how he thinks, though. Like you really, that you know, yeah. That's 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 how someone like Raider thinks. You know, why not? I probably, why not? Do I, I probably told this story already, but I remember when I was younger, like a moment of me not really having a conscience about what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember going to my aunt's house, and she had a bunch of these cups under her house in a box. And I was, her house is on stilts, so, you know, there's like a good 10 foot of space underneath Uh her house. And I remember as a kid, I would go, I was such a little creep. I'd go over to their house when they weren't home and I'd just hang out like under their house. But I mean, I guess, I don't know, it was kind of like a cool thing for a kid. It was like a little clubhouse or something. Yeah, I mean, compared to what Raider does. Well, yeah, but like I took these... I would take these cups and I just started smashing them on the ground one after the other just because I felt like it. Not mm-hmm. even taking into account that it was someone impulse. else. Yeah, it was an impulse. It was the, you know, I didn't even think that, oh, this is somebody else's property. Oh, this might mean something to my aunt. I didn't care. All, I just wanted to do that because I, I, it got me off on some way. Not mm-hmm. sexually, of course, but, you know, on some level, I was like, hell yeah, I, I, love, I love doing this. Stimulated you mentally. Yeah. And, and then only after I did it, I like walked home and I then the guilt kicked in and I was like, what? What did I just do? Why did yeah. I just do that? And I but at least the guilt kicked yeah, in. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. With someone like Dennis Rader, it never kicks in. But I, if it does, it's artificial. I still remember that feeling though of just doing that as a kid and and not having any, uh, just any thought of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was just almost like you're like really drunk and you do something crazy out of being real. I just still remember that feeling i don't have the urge to do that anymore but i remember the feeling and and, and how mm-hmm. weird that was because like mm-hmm. you know i think I, you know i got punished or something like that so maybe that got instilled into yeah. me that there are consequences for your actions but even now you know i, I, I develop i have a conscious and i there's so much shit i could get away with where i wouldn't get caught but i just i have a conscience and i can't can't do it yeah. you know i don't want to do it so so Raider definitely didn't have a conscience. No. If he did, it was uh, no fucking way. Pretty twisted, <laughs> and it was the opposite of what uh, what what most of us would consider a normal conscience. He didn't have the angel on his shoulder. He only had the devil. So uh, now we get to the murders on January fifteenth, nineteen seventy four. Four members of the Otero family were murdered in Wichita, Kansas. The victims were Father Joseph Otero, age thirty eight. Mother Julie Otero, age 33, and two children, Joseph Otero Jr. and Josephine Otero, age 11. Their bodies were discovered by the family's eldest child, Charlie Otero, who was in 10th grade at the time as he returned home from school. Um, And Charlie actually, um, 
is isn't he the one that witnessed his mother? No, no, that's a different. That's a different. That's the other. That's the. the there's a. That's another uh, murder. Um, he came home and some of his siblings were mm-hmm. were like, "Hey, you know, Charlie, come in here. Mom and Dad are playing a a a a, a bad joke or whatever because mm-hmm. the kids thought you know the yeah. parents were playing a joke, and then he went in there and discovered his parents' bodies, and then uh he's like oh he's like tell you know such and such his two younger siblings yeah i guess there's a lot of kids in the family he's like tell them to not come in here they don't need to see this and then he went into their room and they were dead too Mm -hmm. so it's like they were already there and had already been killed so at this but before the murders he was actually laid off from his job as an electrician and in 1973 shortly afterward he killed his first victims the oteros on january 15th 1974 while his wife Paula was sleeping, Dennis Rader broke into the home of the Otero family and murdered every person inside the house. The children, 11-year-old Josie and 9-year-old Joseph, were forced to watch while he strangled their parents to death. That actually did happen, yeah. They were forced to watch. Jesus. Fuck. Can you imagine? that? That's I can't put myself in in in, in uh, those kids' shoes. No. It's just too, too difficult. No. Uh, Josie cried out, Mommy, I love you, while she watched Raider strangle her mother to death. Ugh. Then the little girl was dragged down into the basement where Raider pulled off her underwear and hung her from a sewer pipe. Her last words were to ask what would become of her. Her killer, stoic and calm, told her, Well, honey, you're going to be in heaven tonight with the rest of your family. God. He watched the girl choke to death, masturbating while she died. He took pictures of the dead bodies and gathered up some of the little girl's underwear as a memento of his first massacre. Then Dennis Rader went home to his wife. He had to get ready for church, as he was, after all, church council president. I don't think he was church council president at that particular point in time. But he might as well. I could have been. Dude, I don't know. I just, like, I don't even know what to... I, there are no words. Like, I don't... Like, that's disturbing. Like, that... that, mm-hmm. that bugs me it's shocking like i'm not even putting on an act like i don't like talking about this no i don't either <laughs> it's it's so like this is a, this is like the hardest like thing we've had like i've had to talk about on here or here or listen or hear about um, and it's crazy because we talk we talked about murders before we've talked about you know some you know really messed up shit rapes and all this other stuff but i think when it comes to some of these other, like, for example, when it comes to, uh, let's compare this to Paradise Lost, for instance. There's some really disturbing stuff in that documentary, but the killer is unknown. We don't know who he is, don't know what his motives are, don't know what his kinks are, don't know, really don't know the killer, period. Um, with BTK, you know everything, you get to learn everything about him, and that's what makes it twice as horrifying. Because like this is real, like this isn't this isn't fiction. This isn't some fictionalized account or idea of what a serial killer is. Like this is a this is the real deal. Yeah, in this in and, this case, like the devil really is literally and figuratively in the details. They have all these yeah. goddamn details because mm-hmm. when they did finally catch him, he just calmly and methodically, you know, this was that was his shining moment where he could finally talk about he was he was being interrogated by the police and he was acting like they were lucky to be in the same room with him. yeah yeah at that particular moment while he's revealing the the sordid just 
horrific details of, of his crimes. Yeah, and I mean, and that's somebody clearly without a conscience. Like, there's no way, you know? That, yeah. D- I, just don't, I just don't understand how you raise a fucking family, though. Like, if you're that disconnected, like, you must view people as just, like, little play toys, Mm-hmm. You know, but your maybe your family is is off limits. I don't know. Like, well, he's even said thing. Remember, like his. You know, there'd be moments where the daughter would recollect. You know, after someone was murdered locally. You know, I think that I think the neighbor, and she was worried about what would happen to her or maybe the family. And Raider would say something. Like, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> You're gonna be fine. Jesus Christ. So, uh, Raider actually wrote a letter that had been stashed inside an engineering book um, in the Wikita Public Library in October 1974 that described in detail the killing of the Otero family in January of that year, which is what happened after they found that after his 2005 arrest. Um, In early 1978, he sent another letter to television station KAKE, in Wichita, claiming responsibility for the murders of the Oteros, Catherine Bright, Shirley Vian, and Nancy Fox. He suggested many possible names for himself, including one that stuck, BTK. He demanded media attention in the second letter and was finally annou- and it was finally announced that Wichita did indeed have a serial killer at large. A poem was enclosed titled O oh, Deaf to the Nancy Deaf to Nancy, a parody of the lyrics to the American folk song O oh, Deaf. Now he had this he would sign his uh letters with this really creepy cryptic um not necessarily cryptic but this creepy signature just to show just to show that this this man is not right in the head so he'd have the b and he had the t and he had the k but he would have the b and he would put little dots in in the in in the center of like you know the b the loops so it's so the loops so it looked like press. Yeah, tits. For and the, the BTK layman. stands for bind, torture, kill. Because that's what he did. That's what that's what he loved to do. And he he really did love to do that. Yeah, he he that when they were interrogating him, interrogating him when they finally caught him, they noticed as he was talking about all this, they noticed he was getting erect talking about. Yeah, he was it. getting off. Yeah. So Raider took his next two victims just a few months after their terrorist fifteen-year-old son discovered his family. Raider stalked and waited in the apartment of a young college student named Catherine Bright before he stabbed and strangled her. He then shot her brother Kevin twice, though he survived. Kevin later described Raider as having psychotic eyes. Is that the is is Kevin the one that was who had tried to commit suicide? No, that was the guy. That was the guy who I think lost his mom. I want to say, in the documentary. Yeah. yeah. So Paula was three months pregnant with Raider's first child when, unknown to her, her husband began to advertise his crimes covertly. After scru- describing how he killed the Oteros in a letter he stashed inside an engineering book in the Wakita Public Library, Raider called a local paper, the Wichita Eagle, and let them know where they could find his confession. He added that he intended to kill again and named himself BTK which is an acronym for his preferred method of killing, find, torture, and kill. Raider allegedly took some time off the murder streak after his wife told him that she was pregnant. This is Raider uh, quoted, I was so excited for us and our folks. We were now a family with a job and a baby. I got busy. 
And that's what a lot of people's theories were. Like, he, he stopped killing because he had too much... He didn't have the time. Because he was tr taking care of his family. That's where the disconnect is for me. It's like... Uh, okay, so... Cause because he wanted to be known as a family man in the and, and a pillar of the community on the same level as this notorious serial killer. Yeah, I still I still just don't understand it. If you're able to show that yeah. love and that care and that concern for what you know your family's well-being and all that, it's like how come you that doesn't transfer over to other people? Because it's all a game. I, 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 you know, it's all manipulation. It's all different phases of manipulation for for an extreme sociopath. I may be a narcissist, but I'm no goddamn sociopath because I don't understand this man at all. I don't understand it either. That's one of the biggest mysteries out there is why these individuals like Dennis Rader are the way that they are. Yeah. You know, he even said in an interview, like, I, I think it's a demon. And I'm like, I, I doubt it's a demon. I, I I would say probably his demons are uh, internal, yeah, and probably uh, a part of his wiring uh, that were there ever since he was born. That's like that's basically like equivocal to saying the devil made me do it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, these serial killers, they a lot of the time there are some of them that were abused and do have that history of 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 mental and physical abuse when they were kids. But then there's other ones like Dennis Rader where it doesn't seem like there's any of that. Like it was just a normal childhood, normal whatever. But he was just under the surface, this monster. This monster was just growing and just waiting to, to break out. Um, and th those are the ones that are probably hard to do psych evaluations and really kind of try to pin down. Like, or is, is this individual dangerous? Is this individual... Uh, likely to be a serial killer. Um, that and that's that's just as terrifying as the crimes themselves. It's just this this mystery of like why. Like there's a, there's other crimes that have been committed. We've talked about on on this podcast where we have answers. Oh, it, it's uh, they were abused as a child, so you know by their mother, so they have this disdain and hate for women or. Something like, uh, oh, we're, I'm going to kill my wife for the insurance money, you know, or, or vice versa. Or, you know, things like that. Or, or it's an act of passion. You know, jealousy spurs the crime. Yeah, or like a hatred towards the government, like the uh, yeah. Unabomber, you know. Yeah. With Dennis Rader, there's no answers. Yeah, other than uh, just mentally fucked in the head. Yeah. But you don't know what causes that. Yeah. Uh, so, this lasted for only a few short years, though, and BTK struck again in 1977. But shortly before her husband raped and choked his seventh victim, Shirley Vion, to death, while her six-year-old son, that's the one, watched through the keyhole of the door, she found an early draft of a poem entitled Shirley Locks, which her husband writes, Thou shalt not scream, but lay on a cushion, and think of me, and death. But Paula did not ask any questions, even when the clues added up. 
that's something that's not mentioned in the documentary that the wife might have actually had some suspicions that she could have um, raised. But there's a potential if she did, she might have been killed. this they're all just pawns in his game you know he wants to have this facade that he's this family man and pillar of the community but you know if they find out what he's doing i would not put propose to him at all that he, he would he would kill he would kill you know his wife or his kid yeah so yeah uh Oh, the, 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 the son of Shirley, like he's interviewed in the documentary and you, you feel so much for this man. Like he really got dealt an incredibly horrible, just difficult hand. And, you know, he's had issues with staying alive, which you can't blame him, you know, living with that every day. Yeah. Was that the younger guy? That was the yeah the 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 guy you know who the had the beard and everything and stringy hair. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You could still see like the hurt little boy inside him. Mm-hmm. Like even at you know as as you know middle aged as he was, you could still mm-hmm. very much see you know the the innocence that was that was you know damaged, which you know it was lost. Sucked. It wasn't damaged. It's gone. Yeah. I mean, he talked about how, like, two years after it happened, like, he he was just not there. All right, what's next? So, uh, she didn't, uh, Paula also didn't say anything when her husband marked up newspaper stories on the serial killer with what he called his own secret code. When she noticed that the taunting letters the BTK killer sent to the police were full of the same horrendous misspellings letters she got from her husband, she didn't say anything more than a gentle ribbing. You spell just like BTK. Nor did she ask him about the mysterious sealed box he kept in her home. She never even once tried to look inside. I'm wondering if that's why she didn't want to have anything to do with the documentary because uh, she, you know, she po- she felt guilty. Yeah, she felt guilty. Mm-hmm. So, uh, BTK also intended to kill others such as Anna Williams, who in 1979, age 63, escaped death by returning home much later than expected. Uh, Raider explained during his confession that became obsessed with Williams and was absolutely livid when she evaded him. He spent hours waiting at her home but became impatient and left when she did not return home from visiting friends. Well, that's one instance where she she stayed out too late that saved her life. Yeah. I bet she's got uh, survivor's guilt to some extent after knowing all these other people died. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a thing. Survivor's guilt. That's a thing. Yeah, absolutely. You never heard that before? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like say there's like a bank robbery and like two of your coworkers get gunned down and and you live. Uh, Yeah. Survivor's guilt is definitely something that people feel. Yeah. I think it it probably differs for each individual. You know, I, I don't know if I'd feel that way. Well, you know, you start asking yourself a bunch of questions. You know, why was I the one that sp- was spared, and why, you know, why did were they taken yeah. and I was, you know, spared? And mm-hmm. you just, yeah, I mean, you feel guilty that. Well, it's kind of like what the daughter said when she said, like, you know, if if it, you know, I wish he was caught after the first murder, then you know, I wouldn't, me and my brother would not have been born, but you know, then nobody else would have, you know, 
Nobody else would have died. I understand that like none of this was the daughter's fault, and but her stoicness in the documentary kind of yeah. kind of bothered me. Yeah. Like she seemed a little too cavalier. It's my dad. Yeah, like, like, and I get it. It's it's your father, but like, if that was my dad, I would. It would just be done. I'd be like, no matter what the memory, how good the memories I had, you know, how how wonderful the times I had with my with my father. If I discovered, you know, that my father was a serial killer, it's it. I'm done. I, I'm I'm not. I, I will do my best to try to forgive him in terms of, you know, the whole thing where you're like, okay, I hope you find forgiveness and whatever. But, like, th- th- they're dead to me. That whole concept of, of forgiveness, for the most part, when it comes to something really bad like this, like on Unsolved Mysteries. When- I don't think I'd ever really be able to truly 100% forgive well whenever they talk about those concepts like they'll say like like you know someone's daughter gets murdered and then the parents say i've forgiven blah 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 it's like I, that's a that's a uh that's a part of it's a religious that's thing. a concept that i don't understand i don't understand how people can say that they forgive mm-hmm. the person who killed their i think to me that's unforgivable it, yeah I, I definitely can agree with that. But I think where it comes from as a religious standpoint, you know, like in Jesus, the Bible, Jesus, you know, Jesus forgives, would all forgives people. Yeah, forgives all people. And so they look at it that way. Yeah. But I mean, Raider was even quoting scripture. Oh, yeah. At his trial. Yeah, it's like as, as non-religious as I am, uh, whenever he started quoting the Bible, I literally said so loud in my head. I was like, don't quote the Bible, you motherfucker. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not even religious, but when he starts quoting the I'm Bible, I'm like, "Don't quote the Bible, you piece of shit!" Like you don't, viewers. <laughs> this is so the opposite of anything. But then again, the Bible does have some pretty fucked up shit in it. Um, so it's not 100 percent devoid of you know things that some twisted individual like himself could probably look at oh yeah like, oh, well, the bible's been uh, been used by all kinds of cult leaders and all for their own yeah. purposes throughout the years they've reinterpreted it with their you know to suit their own agenda and all that but mm-hmm. i mean in general it, it, taking all the religious aspects out of it the bible's got a decent set of you know moral yes. treat others how you'd like to be treated and, how, how, how about you quote the one of the ten commandments dennis yeah thou, <laughs> thou shalt, shalt not, not kill, kill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right you stupid fuck like that's right there that's like one of the big ones jesus so Marine Hedge, age 53, was found on May 5th, 1985 at East 53rd Street North between North Webb Road and North Greenwich Road in Wichita, uh, Wichita. Raider had killed her on April 27th and took her dead body to his church. He actually, he did this. He took her dead body to his church, the Christ Lutheran Church, where he was the president of the church council, and it was somewhere in the basement, and he photographed her body in various bondage positions... And had this mask that you put on her face that you get like at like a Halloween store. It was like a female face. It's like a it's and like a mannequin face, basically. He did that because he used that himself. Because this guy was he 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 had some really disturbing fucking kinks. Where 
and and this documentary shows you these photos, and they are scarring. Like I am not going to forget some of these photos, especially like when you see Dennis Rader himself, this this balding. You know, got that whole cul-de-sac hair haircut that all bald dudes have, where mm-hmm. they have they still have hair on the it's sides. It's like a mechanic. He's got just this real stern-looking, you know, face that's constantly scowling. Or your principal. Yeah, and he's got this, you know, trimmed, neat mustache, and that's the only facial mm-hmm. he has. He, you know, he's got the the principal glasses, you know, the. And he's just got this face where he just looks like this stern, like disciplinarian or 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 you know religious official. And then uh-huh. and then you see pictures of him wearing women's underwear with his hairy ass legs sticking out and uh-huh. and it fucking wearing you know all kinds of like you know. And he's got like a noose around his neck and mm-hmm. his hands are tied behind his back. And, you know, that was his kink. That was that's what was that's what he was he into. He buried himself. Yeah, he put he, two pictures. He buried he dug a fucking hole and put and put himself in the hole. And he was like covered in this like plastic wrap. himself in plastic sheets. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going like, how the fuck? Do you set a timer on a camera long enough to do all that? Like, put yourself, cover yourself in plastic. How you take? Who is taking these pictures? And secondly, like, how do you hide how, this yeah, how so do you, well how, how, from your family? Yeah, how did your family never see that? How did your family never see the fucking huge hole in the backyard? Or it's just like, dude, all they would have had to have done is, oh, just coming back to grab my key. Maybe it's not the backyard. It might have been he had some. A remote location that he probably, you know, did his sick, you know, bondage. I think a lot of the stuff, uh, the stuff he did. I think a lot of that shit he did, like in the basement or something. I feel like he did it at. Yeah, his house. he do a lot of that stuff in the church. All someone would yeah. have had to have done is be like, "Oh, I forgot something. I got to go back in and see that." And dude, you're done. You're caught. Like, I don't know. So yeah, he'd wear that mask too. He would wear that mask. And, you know, choke himself to, to get off. And then that's why he put that mask on on uh, Hedge's uh, face when he dumped her uh, dead body in a remote ditch. It's a goddamn shame he didn't, you know, put an, uh, use a, a, enough force to uh, completely hang himself in those photos. Yeah. I'm sitting there looking at the photos going, damn it, if only... Your feet had slipped out from underneath you, or whatever. Only if he fucked up like David Carradine. Yeah, or you know? Robin Williams. God rest his soul. I hate. Well, Robin's different. Like Robin, he he had this disease that was just completely destroying his mental faculties, and I don't even think he was even there when he decided to to end. His oh, life. really? I thought he. Uh, I thought he was just depressed. No, he had a he had a disease that was uh, that was misdiagnosed as Alzheimer's. But um, I, I want to, uh, I definitely want to I mean, bring it up. Oh, I, I, I never knew that. Louis body dementia. Oh, wow. It was diagnosed as Parkinson's and that would, that contributed to his depression because they, Louis body dementia has very similar symptoms to Parkinson's. Damn. Learn something new about that. Well, that makes me feel a little better about that situation. Cause I just thought yeah. he was so depressed that he just, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, he photographed his body in various bondage positions in a church. <laughs> There's a dead, you know, her body, his body too, but he photographed her body in various bondage positions, her dead body in, in a place of worship, you know, in a holy, you know, place that's supposed to, you know, 
be a a, a, a location where people worship God, you know. Sacrosanct. Yeah. And Raider had previously stored pla- black plastic sheets and other materials at the church in anticipation for the murder, and then later dumped the body in a remote ditch. He even had a name for his uh, plan. He called it Project Cookie. Yeah. Uh. So this is actually his words here. Um, so this is actually mentioning the box, the box in the house. Uh, if, she, if she had, if, if his wife had found the box, she would have found a treasure chest of horrors if she looked inside it, which Rader referred to as a mother load. It contained mementos from her husband's crime scenes, dead women's underwear, driver's licenses, also pictures of him dressed up in this victim's underwear. Yeah, it's not just only dressing up in women's underwear. He dresses up in his victim's underwear, choking himself and burying himself alive, reenacting the ways he killed them. He also wrote these like horrible, like disgusting sketches of like all him in these various positions where he's like killing women and strangling them. And he like cut out photos of like beautiful women in catalogs and he would do sick twisted things where you know he'd cross you know do stuff where he you know crossed their eyes out or he would try to put a noose around their neck and then that whole thing with all those damn Barbie dolls yeah this is Raider quoted here part of my MO was to find and keep the victims underwear he explained in an interview then in my fantasy I would relieve the day or start a new fantasy. Just just reading that just makes me sick to my stomach. Nonetheless, his, his wife would later insist to the police that Dennis Rader was a good man, a great father, and he would never, never hurt anyone. Yeah, she was, yeah, she was defensive when the police showed up to her door and said, your, your husband, Dennis Rader, he's been arrested. No, he's the BTK killer. And she's like, no, you got it wrong. No, da, 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 da. So, in 1988, after the murders of three members of the Fager family in Wichita, a letter was received of someone claiming to be the BTK killer, in which the offer of the letter denied being the perpetrator of the Fager murders. The offer credited the killer with having done admirable work. It was not proven until 2005 that the letter was, in fact, written by Raider. He is not considered by police to have committed this crime. Additionally, two of the women Raider had stalked in the 1980s, one he had stalked in the mid-1990s, filed restraining orders against him, and one of them moved away. His final victim, Dolores E. Davis, was found on February 1st, 1991 at West 117th Street North and North Meridian Street in Sedgwick. She'd been killed by Raider on January 19th, 1991. And he got really sloppy with that one. He just, like, threw a brick through the window, snuck in, and killed her. Not even Dennis Raider's own children suspected him. Their father was, at his worst, a strictly moral Christian. His daughter, Carrie Rawson, would recall how once her father did angry grab her brother by the neck and she and her mother had to pull him off to save the boy's life. Yeah, he was strangling their brother. Like, when you look at that in retrospect, you're like, that's really, it's even more disturbing, is it? you know, because like he probably would have finished it. Like, if nobody was there, he would have just strangled the kid. He would have strangled his son. I, th- I, don't, I, I feel like his M.O. was more catered towards females although he did kill males i think his i think his big thing was females so uh, who knows? i don't think he killed me i don't know if he even yeah he did he killed the the the, the o- father otero guy otero, mm-hmm. otero yeah um but no i like i mean a lot of it's impulse related and apparently he had this routine 
to strengthen his hands. Oh, God, that was so creepy. To, uh, you know, make it so he could strangle people to death with more he had one of those stress balls that you squeeze over and over again to relieve stress he would just constantly be squeezing that thing when he was at his house what makes it even more disturbing is that it had the words on it life is good yeah that's like straight out of a movie like a horror movie like a bad horror movie (laughs) <laughs> like a badly written horror movie. You would just be like, "Oh, come on." Yeah, really? no one That's no one really yeah, no one really does yeah. that. Yeah. But no, he did. Just shows you how messed in the, up in the head he was. He probably picked that out, you know, on purpose. He'll squeeze it every time he squeezes it and probably looks at it and sees the word life. He's probably thinking he's squeezing the life out. Yeah. So, uh this is the daughter quoted I could still picture it clearly, and I could still see the intense anger in my dad's face and eyes. But this instance appeared isolated. When she learned of the BTK killer, it was her own father, ironically, who soothed her late-night worries. Her father waved every morning to 53-year-old Marine Hedge while on his way to church. When she became the BTK killer's eighth victim, tied up and choked to death, it was Raider himself who had been the one to comfort and reassure his family. Don't worry. We're safe. In truth, Raider had murdered the women, the woman the night before after sneaking out of the campsite he was chaperoning on his son's club, Cub Scout retreat. He returned by morning to the group of young boys with no suspicions. In 1986, he killed his ninth victim, 28-year-old Vicki Weggerly, while her two-year-old watched from a playpen. Her murder would remain unsolved until the BTK killer unknowingly brought himself to justice. And that ties into the cold case, which is the next... Part that we're going to cover here. By 2004, the investigation of the BTK killer was considered a cold case. Then, Raider began a series of 11 communications to the local media that led directly to his arrest. Uh, he basically felt like uh, he was being forgotten, and that yeah. that like bruised his ego. That pissed him yeah. off. So... In March 2004, the Wichita Eagle received a letter from someone using the return address, Bill Thomas Kilman. The author of the letter claimed that he had murdered Vicki Weggerly on September 16, 1986, and enclosed photographs of the crime scene and a photocopy of her driver's license, which had been stolen at the time of the crime. Before this, it had not been definitively established that Weggerly was killed by BTK. DNA collected from under Weggerly's fingernails provided police with previously unknown evidence. They then began DNA testing hundreds of men in an effort to find the serial killer. Although over 1,300 DNA samples were taken and later destroyed by court order. And I think with Vicky, her husband was considered the prime suspect yes, for, for many a years. long time. Yes. In May 2004, television, television station KAKE in Wichita received a letter with chapter headings for the, quote, BTK story, fake IDs, and a word puzzle. On June 9, 2004, a package was found taped to a stop sign at the corner of First and Kansas in Wichita. It had graphic descriptions of the Otero murders and a sketch labeled, quote, the sexual thrill is my bill, end quote. Also enclosed was a chapter list for a proposed book titled The BTK Story, which mimicked a story written in 1999 by Court TV crime writer David Lore. Chapter one was titled A Serial Killer is Born. And then you had like the last chapter was essentially saying, Will there be more? Will will there be more? 
In July, a package was dropped into the return slot at the downtown public library containing more bizarre material, including the claim that he was responsible for the death of 19-year-old Jake Allen in Argonia, Kansas, earlier the mo- that month. This claim was false, and the death was ruled a suicide. After his capture, Raider admitted in his interrogation that he had been planning to kill again, and he had set a date, October 2004, and was stalking his intended mm-hmm. victim. In 2000, co-worker. Yeah. In 2004, a manila envelope was dropped into a UPS box in Wichita. It had many cards with images of terror and bondage of children pasted on them. A poem threatening the life of investigator Lieutenant Ken Landweir and a false autobiography with many details about Raider's life. These details were later released to the public. In December 2004, Wichita police received another package from the BTK killer. This time, the package was found in Wichita's Murdoch Park. It had the driver's license of Nancy Fox, which was noted as stolen from the crime scene, as well as a doll that was symbolically bound at the hands and feet and had a plastic bag over its head. Barbie doll. Yeah, just just like she was found when police found her. Mm. In January 2005, Raider attempted to leave a cereal box in the bed of a pickup truck at a Home Depot in Wichita, but the box was discarded by the truck driver's owner. It was later retrieved from the trash after Raider asked what had become of it in a later message. Surveillance tape of the parking lot from that date revealed a distant figure driving a black Jeep Jeep Cherokee leaving the box in the parking lot. Uh, This was a detail that he did not intend on police having, but they were able to get that detail. And in the cereal cereal box, like it had BTK and like uh, tape on the cover. And there was more disturbing, you know, paraphernalia. And you had uh, another doll, if I remember correctly. And this is the one that was like, uh, yeah, the other, there was another cereal box that was left in a rural location that found another doll. In February, more postcards were sent to KAKE, and another cereal box left at a rural location was found to contain another bound doll, apparently meant to symbolize the murder of 11 year old Josephine Otero. Yeah. It had like a Barbie doll. You know, and then it had like the a pipe, and there's a noose around the neck. In his letters to police, Raider asked if his writings, if put on a floppy disk, could be traced or not. The police answered his question in a newspaper ad posted in the. This is this particular moment here. Like this is the one where it's like after all these years, you've been one step ahead of of law enforcement. Yeah. So. Um, The police answered his question in a newspaper ad posted in the Wichita Eagle saying it would be safe to use the disc. On February 16th, 2005, Raider sent a purple 1.44 megabyte Memorex floppy disc to Fox TV affiliate KSAS TV in Wichita. Also enclosed were a letter, a gold colored necklace and a large medallion and a photocopy of the cover of a 1988 1989 novel about a serial killer, Rules of Prey. Police found metadata embedded in a deleted Microsoft Word document, which was Mm -hmm. unknown to Raider, still stored on the floppy disk. The metadata contained the words Christ Lutheran Church, and the document was marked as last modified by Dennis. An internet search determined that a Dennis Raider was president of the church council. From the Home Depot incident, the police also knew BTK owned a black Jeep Cherokee. 
When investigators drove by Raider's house, they noticed a black Jeep Cherokee parked outside. The pol- Gotcha. Yep. The police had strong circumstantial evidence against Raider, but they needed more direct evidence to detain him. They obtained a warrant to test the DNA of a pap smear Raider's daughter had taken at the Kansas State University Medical Clinic when she was a student there. The DNA of the pap smear was processed by the Kansas Bureau of Investigation at their lab in Topeka and demonstrated a, famili- a familial match to the sample taken from Wagerly's fingernails. This indicated that the serial killer was closely related to Raider's daughter and, th- and was the evidence the police needed to make an arrest. Now... When I when I originally heard about like how he got caught, it was just it was just like, really, like all this time, all these years, staying one step ahead of the police, and you just blindly believed that they would tell the truth. They've been hunting your ass for how long? Do you really think that they would just they if if you asked them a question, and you said, hey, you know, is it okay for me to, uh, you know communicate with you with a floppy disk is there any way for you to trace it back to me do you really think that the police are going to be like they're going to tell the truth and they're going to say yes there's absolutely a way to do that so well again it would be in your best interest not to uh send the floppy disk he he kind of thought he was like buddies with with them at this point like like they were like uh you know he was the celebrity and they they wanted to be friends well one of the police officers like he actually spurred the whole resurfacing the BTK because he was talking about, you know, he was basically kind of going on uh, TV and talking about it. Yeah. And, and it was all a publicity stunt to get BTK's attention and play to his ego. Yeah. Which ultimately worked. Mm-hmm. So. But still, I mean, like someone who's apparently just been so smart, I guess, in terms of staying ahead of, you know, the police, does something so stupid here. And that becomes his undoing. And even like later on, like when he's caught, he's like, "You lied to me. Why did you lie to me?" Yeah, it's like we've been trying to catch you. <laughs> did you really think? <laughs> you think we tell the truth? So, but it's just crazy. Like the the reign of terror and the search that it's been decades trying to find this guy ends just with a floppy disk and an internet search. Well, you know, technology bitch slapped him in the face. He obviously wasn't yep. anticipating on technology. He didn't do his research. No. He didn't do his research on technology. Like if he, uh, you know, looked up some things and uh, did his uh, research on those kind of things, then he might still be out there. He might have killed more people. He would have walked off into the sunset like he said he wo- he, he wanted to. He originally planned to doing. And just hearing that, hearing the term walk off into the sunset being applied to Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, is just sickening. He used to take a long walk off a short pier. Yes. That's another old man phrase. But So he was arrested. Rader was arrested while driving near his home in Park City shortly after noon on February 21st, 25th, 2005. An officer asked, Mr. Rader, do you know why you're going downtown? And Rader replied, oh, I have suspicions. Why? Wichita Police, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and ATF agents searched Raider's home and vehicle, seizing evidence including a computer computer equipment, a pair of black pantyhose retrieved from a shed, and a cylindrical container. The church he attended, his office at City Hall, and the main branch of the Park City Library were also searched. And Raider himself 
He's even interrogated. He's talking about go to the church. Go to my office. You know, you'll find this file cabinet. It'll have everything that you could possibly want to have. You know, it's just like, it's just like, I guess at this moment, he knew he was, he was, he was caught. And so he just decided to just embrace the, the, the moment. The fame and the celebrity or the, the, or the infamy, I should say. Yeah. Infamy. So on uh, February 28th, 2005, Raider was charged with 10 counts of first degree murder. Soon after his arrest, Associated Press cited an anonymous source alleging that Raider had confessed to other murders. In addition to those in which he had been connected, a Sedgwick County District Attorney denied this, but refused to say whether Raider made any confessions or if investigators were looking into Raider's possible involvement in more unsolved killings. On March 5th, news sources claimed to have verified by multiple sources that Raider had confessed to the 10 murders he was charged with, but no other ones. On March 1st, Raider's bail was set at $10 million, and a public defender was appointed to represent him. Uh, in this documentary, they definitely didn't interview the defense, but like, I, I, some people were like, why didn't they do that? Like, was that really necessary? Yeah, I know, right? This isn't a case where, oh, there was like, you, you, some you don't need to hear both sides of the story on, on this one. Like, he fucking did it. <laughs> On May 3rd, the judge entered not guilty pleas on Raider's behalf, as Raider did not speak at his arraignment. However, on June 27th, the scheduled trial date, Raider changed his plea to guilty. He described the murders in detail and made no apologies. At Raider's August 18th sentencing, victims' families made statements. Uh, there was one in particular, I think, from the last victim. Uh, I think Dolores. Uh, the you know the, the, the last uh, victim's family, I think her son. That was, you know, he really railed on him and he was interviewed and he had great, you know, just very eloquent ways to describe, you know, how horrible he was. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I, I spent a lot of time in making that victim impact mm -hmm. statement and every word had to count. Yeah, he was talking about how he's like, a, he's a, he's a human cesspool. You know, and that cancerous brain of yours, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, this guy really is still so pissed off at this, at that Raider, as as he very well should he be. He should be. As I would be, you know. I would be too. I don't know if I'd go as far as some of the other uh, family members uh, of the victims where they're talking about, you know, I'm going to kill him. You know, like, it's, I, I just think that's not, that doesn't really solve anything. And then, then you have to like live with the fact that you took someone's life, you know. Yeah, I'd rather him just rot in prison, you know, without his family, without his fame, without you know. Well, then they're talking his about like to, the to scare people. Some lay was talking about you know I don't like the fact that he's got a TV in his cell mm -hmm. and this. And it's like yeah, I mean fuck, he shouldn't have those kind of privileges. That dude should be like the fucking what they these should have gotten the same treatment that the West Memphis Three got, you know. Damien didn't have any of that shit. I think he had books, maybe. Yeah. He didn't. He was in a small, like, like yeah. four by six cell or something like that. And so, the victims' families made statements after which Raider apologized in a rambling thirty-minute monologue. The prosecutor likened to an Academy Awards acceptance speech. It is. Yeah. Yep. Like just hearing him, it's just like he's quoting scripture. He's talking about his life. He's comparing himself to the victims. He's like yeah. such and such was a family person. I'm a family person. You know, 
uh blah 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 is like it's like dude what are you it's like you i have a daughter too yeah. you know it's like and like the the victim's families like they didn't even watch that yeah they all agreed they made to, an agreement they all agreed to walk out of the courtroom when he's when he made his statement they didn't even want to hear what he had to say which i i i again i understand that completely his statement has been described as an example of an often observed phenomenon among psychopaths, their inability to understand the emotional content of language. He was sentenced to 10 consecutive life sentences with a minimum of 175 years. Kansas had no death penalty at the time of the murders. And on August 19th, he was moved to El Dorado Correctional Facility. Rader talked about innocuous topics such as the weather during the 40-minute drive to El Dorado, but began to cry when the victim's family statements from the court proceedings came on the radio. Whether it was a crocodile tears or not, I don't know. Yeah, because he's now again, in solitary that, confinement for his protection. Yeah, one hour of exercise per day and showers three times per week, and this will likely continue indefinitely. Beginning in 2006, he was allowed to access to television, radio, to read magazines, and other privileges for good behavior. Good behavior, my ass. So, so you were you were you were saying earlier? Sorry about that. I was just trying to finish it up. Um, no, when he was, he, he started crying when he heard their, their mm -hmm. statements on the radio. It's like that, that would just imply that he has some kind of conscience, which we know he doesn't. So they would have had to have been crocodile tears, I would imagine. So Massachusetts psychologist Robert Mendoza was hired by Raider's court appointed, appointed public defenders to conduct a psychological evaluation for Raider and determine if an insanity based defense might be viable. He conducted an interview after Raider pleaded guilty on June 27th. NBC claimed that Raider knew the interview might be on TV, but this is false, according to the Sedgwick County Sheriff's Office. Raider mentioned the interview during a sentencing statement. On October 25, 2005, the Kansas Attorney General filed a petition to sue Mendoza and Trey Tolly Waters, co-owners of Cambridge Forensic Consultants, for breach of contract, claiming that they intended to benefit financially from the use of information obtained through involvement in Raider's defense. Um, on May 10, 2007, Mendoza settled the case with no admission of wrongdoing. Now, this is a case that, like, scarred people who worked on it. Even journalists. There was this journalist gal who was working on a story and working on a book, and she just quit her job after this, after she was done yep. doing BTK. She was like, no, I can't. I can't do it anymore. It had soured her on journalism. Yeah. So, uh... I'm just uh, trying to look here. Oh, yeah, Raider, like, when he was arrested, like, he was saying, like, can you tell my wife that I won't be able to go to lunch? I won't be able to come over for lunch today? You know, just nonchalantly. Oh, I'm getting arrested for, for murdering all these people and, and being this terror to Wichita and to, to the, and to people, you know, numerous people who have lived there. But I, I want to make sure my wife knows I'm not going to be there for lunch. I just keep circling back to like I the just I just kind of took issue with his daughter in the documentary. Like I I just and I know you know she's probably been through so much hell growing up or after well not maybe not growing up but you know when when he was finally when her dad was finally busted and outed as a BTK killer. I mean, her reaction that she she recollects is is uh, de definitely something that um, 
that those are real emotions there you know there's the shock and there's the just the fucking awe of like what yeah i just i don't know man what? i would have liked to have seen more of a like i you know i feel awful that this this human being is my fault you know just something like that but she i never really got that vibe from her i got i didn't get it from her either but maybe that's just how you know she forgives him you know she wrote a letter and she's like she's still communicating with him she's like people keep coming up to me and saying that my dad deserves to burn in hell and it's hard hearing that because i just know him as my dad and it's like yes honey but your dad is a piece of human refuse so mm. Uh, you know, I, I get that he never did anything bad per se to why, you. Why are you not questioning these, these, you know, your family, your, your, your relationship with him, whether or not like it was actually legit to begin with? That's what I would be. I would be like, was he just fucking with me and my family and, and you know, my brother and my wife, it was just all a game to him. Right. Were the, were these, was the love really even there? Because how 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 could someone who loves you know cares and 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 appreciates me so much do be capable of these fucking crimes if it that was all legit? It reminds me of the Marie Hilly case. Whenever you know on Unsolved Mysteries, the woman who poisoned uh, her uh, her her husband until he died yeah. and poisoned mm -hmm. uh, her daughter. And she almost killed yeah. the son. And the son was on Unsolved Mysteries being interviewed. And he goes, you know, I, I had to re-examine everything my mom had ever taught me in my life. You know, from right and wrong and all this other stuff. And mm -hmm. I just thought that was really powerful when he said that. And I think what Kelly, the documentary, didn't really... I think, it, it, you know... Because she's actually, there's been other interviews and stuff I I've, I guess I've looked up on, on YouTube and other places where she's shown more, you know, uh, sorry about, you know, the victims, you know, and all that. And, and she she has, you know, when she speaks out to the victim families and stuff. Um, this is one of those things where people deal with this kind of thing differently than, than, you know, others. You know, everyone deals with it differently. And I guess she's dealing with it in a way where she's trying to still view her father as not solely the BTK killer and this just monster of a man and more as, you know, the loving father that she remembered him being. I think that's kind of a way for her to cope. And I, I do view it as kind of delusional, you know, but maybe that's the way that she's able to continue to live her life the best she can is, is the kind of, hold on to that memory of her father. Yeah, and then also... And not, not the brutal, you know, sadistic, uh, sociopathic, psychopathic side of her father. Yeah, that's, and that's not even bringing up the fact that the his wife nor his, uh, his son uh, participated in the documentary. No. Well, I mean, speaking of Dennis Waiter's, uh, Raider's wife, uh, she left her, half, her meal half-eaten on the dinner table when her husband was arrested. She would never come back to finish it. When the horrible truth of what Dennis Rader had done come, came out, she refused to ever step foot at the home again. She divorced Rader when he confessed to the crimes. The Rader family tried to stay quiet during the trial. There was no explanation as to his rampage beside Dennis's supposi supposition that I actually think I might be possessed with demons. 
The media accused Paula of not knowing more than she let on, of protecting her husband and ignoring evidence. BTK's daughter at first hated him, especially when he sent a letter to the newspaper about her, saying that she reminds me of me. It didn't escape the kids that they shared their father's blood or that some part of him might live on within them. Nor did it escape them that if their father had been stopped when he first killed, they would have never been born. That really messes with your head. There's almost a guilt there for being alive, Carrie said. They died, and you got to live. But the hardest part of all of that was, for all he'd done, Dennis Rader was still their father. This is Carrie quoted again. Should I tell you that I grew up adoring you, that you were the sunshine of my life, Carrie wrote in her autobiography, A Serial Killer's Daughter. I just wish you were sitting next to me in the theater sharing a tub of buttered popcorn. But you're not. You won't ever have this again, she wrote her father. Was it worth it? So I want to give credit to Mark Oliver who put together this, uh, this, uh, that particular portion that I've gone back and forth here uh, on um, a site called All That Is Interesting. So I don't really, speaking of all that, I don't really have anything really left to say when it comes to all of this. Um, burned out. <laughs> emotionally <laughs> yes as you could probably hear as as i've gone f- gotten further and further and further into this podcast i've not only of course had my usual flubs with the pronunciations but um i don't know if you can hear the emotion in my voice but i can definitely feel it um and uh dennis raider is is is, is, is inhuman it's just i mean people call him monster it's true it's a creature. I don't want to call him human. Someone who's, you know, I, I don't, I don't see, you know, someone who does these things, binds and tortures other people and describes them in nonchalant fashion and gets off at, uh, on these murders and is able to just go back to their life as a church, uh, head of a church and, and, uh, boy scout leader, you know, and all of a sudden, a pillar of the community and a family man like it was nothing you know like like he just stayed late and oh he just has like a bowling league he attends you know every every uh every now and then it, it, it's just one of those things it's it's shocking it's stunning and it really is soul crushing when you really when you get like the weight of everything of this case when it's no longer just oh btk killer like you know about it you you know you kind of know some details about btk because that's how that's kind of how what i knew i know some details about it but i didn't know all of them i didn't have the the words of his of the victim's families embedded in my brain i didn't have these just sick disgusting photographs you know of beat of dennis raider you know, reenacting the murders in, you know, his twisted way of, of masturbation and, 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 uh, relief. I didn't have any of that, but after seeing this documentary and reading up on it, you know, I, I got all of that and that's, it's hard to shake. And if you ask me, I, I pr- it probably will be something that I, I won't be able to fully shake the reality of it. It's not just the stuff you see, you know, you, you read a little bit in the headlines, like, 
you know now now like like i said the weight of everything i could feel it yeah same here um yeah i mean just the detail is what really got me the detail of everything and you know doing the stuff in front of you know kids and it's just yeah it, it's I'm t- I will say this: one of the one of the victims' families, I, I believe, was also the same man who put all that effort into doing a the the most scathing speech he possibly could. I think I think it's the son of Dolores Davis. He um he had, he had a really uh, heartfelt speech in the documentary where he's talking about how you know let's try to honor the memory of of the victims by through our actions you know and i thought that was really poignant and it got me choked up when i saw it and i agree with that too often do we you know when we talk about killers we talk about serial killers infamous serial killers like dennis rader we we tend to focus in and zero in on the killer and, and and their crimes and 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 them and we kind of lose track of you know the victims i i definitely feel that we as you know people we should we should think about you know let's let's try to you know definitely the 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 families of the victims and that's what they're trying to do they're trying to live their lives in 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 honor of of, of their loved ones and i think we as people should kind of live our lives in honor of the good of humanity you know the good in us all and try to do the best that we can to to make that outweigh the 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 evil that we have seen and heard in people's you know individuals monsters like dennis Rader. Well put, Mike. And I think on that note, we should uh, call this one and, um, you know, just take a mental break. Um, that's a podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Like I said, if you want to join our Facebook group, just go to facebook.com, go to the group section and type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Uh, you can like our Facebook page as well. Um, you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And you can find me and Mike separately but equally on YouTube. Uh, Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP Communications. He uh, is a movie guy. Mike, what was the last thing you talked about? Alita Battle Angel. What the hell is that? It's a film that came out this year, sci-fi, cyberpunk kind of movie. It's based on uh, anime and manga. Um I liked it okay. Uh, apparently, there's a good amount of fans that don't like it when you aren't like in love with the movie. But that's how it is. A lot of films, a lot you know, nowadays with fans on the internet. Um, I, I I liked it okay. I thought it was visually impressive. I and there were other elements that I really liked, but I just thought it was a weak story. And it was kind of honestly a cyberpunk movie without the punk. Mm. And a cyber movie just doesn't isn't really the isn't really as good as a cyberpunk film okay well go and check that out and he does a he has a bunch of different movies that he talks about as well 
dating back 10 years. Um, you can find me on YouTube by going to youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. And uh, I upload uh, all kinds of stuff, a lot of music related videos, music history, fun, you know, music uh, facts and observations. I do video game videos occasionally, although I've kind of put more of a break on that. I do vlogs and opinion pieces and all that other kind of stuff. So if you want more, Josh, you can head over there. The last video I did, uh, I actually did a microphone comparison of between this microphone that I'm using here and that nice, fancy new one I bought a few podcasts ago that really didn't sound any different than this one that I'm using. So I'm going through this big thing with Amazon right now trying to return them, fucker, because, you know... If, yeah, you the shipping. If I, See, I, I haven't really returned anything to Amazon because I, I think I've just known... I just read about just the absolute pain in the ass it is. It's usually actually not to, bad. To, uh, uh, it's only annoying this time because they, they put all the refund on a gift card instead of putting it back on my credit card. So it's just it's a long, boring story. But yeah, um, if I'm paying $800 for a microphone, I'm going to need... You should get it put refunded to your card, not a gift card. Well, that's what I tried to do, but they refunded it to a gift card and now it's it's too late and i gotta jump through a bunch of hoops it's gonna be it's gonna be all right though uh they're gonna you know they're gonna do what needs to be done but um yeah anyway uh i'm fucking starving uh i'm weak and, and frail <laughs> so i'm gonna end this right now but until next week uh have a good rest of your week uh, goodbye see ya so now we've come to the point in the podcast where i'm going to promote my band dancing with ghosts we are on spotify and anywhere else that you want to stream music so please give us a listen and if you like what you hear consider supporting our band you can buy limited editions of our physical CDs and uh, t-shirts in the description to this podcast. And uh, we just appreciate you checking out the band and giving it a chance. And now here is a little clip of some of our music. Someone put the tide up. As goes the night. I feel the slip in this abyss. Handcrafted cage my skull. I cannot stand. You cannot stand.